Welcome, everyone, to episode one of the Audit 15 Fund podcast. My goal with the podcast is to bring relevant internal audit topics to the table every 15 days. Uh, today, I'll be talking about the always relevant topic of how internal audit can build credibility with the business. My name is John Tabor, your host. And to talk about that topic today, I am privileged and honored to have as my very first guest, Richard Chambers. Richard is the former president and CEO of the Institute of Internal Auditors, having served in that capacity for more than a decade. Prior to his work with the IIA, Richard worked in a leadership position with PwC, Tennessee Valley Authority, U.S. Postal Service, and U.S. Army. Since leaving the, uh, leaving the IIA, Richard is leading his own internal audit advisory firm and also working as a senior internal audit advisor with Audit Board. Welcome, Richard, and I'm really happy to have you uh, with me today. Thank you, John. It's great to be with you, and I'm really honored that you asked me to be your first guest. I appreciate it. So we'll get, we'll get right straight to the business. So right. building credibility, uh, internal audit. So, you know, I, I think this is a really uh, great topic, and I think it's always relevant. So maybe, you know, thinking about a situation like you are the new chief audit executive for a company, like what would be on your like top on top of your to do list of how you go about building credibility with the business? Maybe, you know, business partners that are unfamiliar with you, don't know who you are. What would you do? Well, you know, that's not uh, that's not far fetched for me because I've been uh... Uh, chief audit executive in a number of companies, uh, a number of organizations over the years. And I've had exactly that dilemma when I first took over. In, in some instances, I took over from a, a, a leader who had worked hard and built and sustained that level of trust with the uh, clients. I call them clients over time, uh, stakeholders, if you will. Uh, in other cases, uh, the relationship had not been strong and I had my work cut out for me. So for me, the first thing that I want to do is I want to establish the, the rapport that uh, gives them a, a sense of comfort that we share a common purpose. Uh, the common purpose is the success of the organization. Uh, it, it is not internal audit's purpose uh, to write up for findings and, and issue negative audit reports. Our, our purpose is to make contributions that enable the success of the organization. Now, we have a very, uh, a very unique mission in doing that. We are within an organization, the only independent and objective assurance function. Uh, so we, we, we have a great responsibility on our shoulders by virtue of who we are, but that never takes away from the fact that we have the same ultimate mission as management and the board, and that is to serve the shareholders or the stakeholders of the organization and to help it achieve success. So the, the, first, the first mission is to make sure that, that they understand that I recognize that and that I won't be successful unless they're successful. Um, and so that's part of what I do when I set out uh, as a newly appointed chief audit executive. And that comes through really um, having direct conversations, face-to-face uh, -face, uh, dialogue, uh, hearing them, uh, making sure I understand if they've had any concerns with internal audit in the past 
what is internal audit done well and what could internal audit do better? That's kind of the, the, the question that I pose. Uh, it, that way it doesn't put them in a position of having to criticize the way the department was run before, but they have an opportunity to tell me how I could better serve them. So I, that's a long-winded answer and obviously just scratches the surface of what you need to do as a newly appointed chief audit executive. But if you're going to build and sustain trust, which is very much part of what we have to do to be successful, it has to start right out of the gate. It has to start immediately. Absolutely. And I 100% agree that you have to get the input from the business. You know, like if you're starting the position and you're, you're new to the company or you're new to the position, just getting their input, you know, I think you're, you're showing that you're valuing their opinion. So I, I think that's a, a good idea to build uh, trust, build credibility with the business. So definitely agree. Uh, maybe, you know, at the manager or director level position, what can you do? You know, maybe you're not like talking with, you know, the CEO or the CFO, but you're maybe you're like uh, talking with different managers and directors or VPs throughout the company. What would you do to build that credibility, you know, that would be a little bit different than as a chief audit executive. Well, let, let me let me caution at the outset that, and you know, internal audit is a team. Uh, it's not a collection of individual uh, participants or athletes. We're a team. We work together, and and that has to that has to start from the top, but it has to be uh, it has to be embraced by the whole organization. So if a, if a director or manager uh, is out there forging their own strategy with how they're going to build and sustain uh, trace uh, relationships and trust, um, that, that can lead to some confusion. So it really falls again to the chief audit executive to work with the entire team, make sure there is a strategic plan and that that strategic plan is developed collaboratively with the entire department. And part of that strategic plan needs to be how do we build and sustain that trust, back to what I was talking about earlier. So there should be a common shared vision within internal audit about how that gets done. And then everyone needs to be on board in terms of execution. So there ought to be a, a game plan, if you will, or a strategic goal around um, the, the interface, the interaction, the building and sustaining trust uh, and those managers and those directors need to be very much a part of that. So everyone's got a role to play, but the role to play uh, ultimately enables the entire internal audit team to be successful. Yeah, I think that's a great takeaway. Everybody needs to be on the same boat, you know, going the, in the same direction, right? Because, right. uh, you know, team effort, I, I think it's a lot more valuable sometimes than, you know, just, you know, individual performance, right? Uh, the team performing and helping each other, it's uh, really helpful. So I think that's good. Uh, maybe taking it, you know, down a notch. Uh, how about at the staff level for those who are just starting out in the field? You know, they, uh, what would you do? I, I remember from my days starting in internal audit, you know, I had a few certifications and I kind of lean heavily on my certifications to, you know, show that I had some credibility to the business. Uh, but other than certifications, like, is there anything else that uh, someone at the staff level or someone who's just starting out, uh, just starting out, starting out can do to build that credibility, you know, as they are uh, progressing in their career? Well, again, John, I hate to sound like a broken record, but this has to be 
a, a comprehensive uh, strategy, a, a team approach. So as, just as the, C, the chief audit executive, the CAE, uh, needs to have uh, roles and responsibilities in building and sustaining that trust, just as the directors and managers do, so do the associates, the senior associates who make up uh, the internal audit staff. Um, they, they really need to be um, looking to and be reliant upon uh, the guidance and direction that they're getting uh, from above. So the, the, the managers and the directors should be coaching and mentoring uh, these young uh, internal audit professionals, or I, I don't mean to say young as much as new, uh, because some people do enter our uh, profession uh, later in their careers. So I, I think, uh, you know, what, what we need to do is we need to have uh, greater uh, emphasis on training and education when it comes to building and sustaining trust building uh, strong, supportive relationships with management, with clients. And, and there needs to be a, a keen understanding on the part of the more junior uh, members of the audit team about why that's important and about how they can contribute. You know, I'm one of these unique uh, people in our profession. I came into internal audit when I was 21 years old, uh, 46 years ago. So you can do the math. Obviously, I've been around it for a while. And I can remember as a, as a very young internal audit um, associate, we, we actually called them interns then. We were full-time staff. We were, we were in a career track, but I was an entry-level associate. And, and I remember how much I learned from watching uh, and emulating the best practices that I was seeing um, among my senior team, among those who were more senior in internal audit, which was everybody but me. Um, and and you know, not everybody brought the same level of acumen and talent in terms of how they uh, communicated uh, at the beginning of an audit, how they how they helped to keep uh, management informed of the progress of the audit, or or most importantly, how they communicated the end results. Some didn't do that very well; others did. And so, what I what I determined to do is uh, to learn from the best and to model the behaviors that I saw in the audit team that were the most successful. And so the, the one piece of advice I'd give any uh, young or new uh, member of the internal audit team is look, listen, and emulate the best practices that you see around you. Yeah, I, that really resonates with me because I remember when I started out in internal audit, you know, there were certain things that like certain in charge would have would like be a really good characteristic and I would copy that. And then, you know, next audit or next project, there was something else that I would learn. I think that's a really good tip on, you know, just trying to learn, uh, you know, what people do best and try to copy that. So I think that's... You know, my first, my first book, John, was Lessons Learned on the Audit Trail. I wrote that in 2014. And, and it had something of a, you know, autobiographical feel to it, although that wasn't the purpose. The purpose was to talk about my own experiences, uh, to help people understand that what you're going through is not uncommon. And I shared in that book, uh, which was later updated into a second edition, uh, The Speed of Risk, I shared examples of how I learned to deal uh, with 
uh, contentious meetings. And I didn't learn it from a book and I didn't learn it in a classroom. I learned it from a lady who was a member of our audit team uh, who had who was calm, cool, and collected in the face of sometimes adverse uh, meetings with management. And, and I learned no matter what they say, no matter how contentious it gets, you maintain your poise, you keep your cool. If you need to, you know, maybe you need to withdraw from, from that particular meeting and set up a follow-on. Uh, but there are things you learn from others. We, 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 we grow and mature by learning and listening. And that's the most important advice I would give a new member of the internal audit profession. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Uh, and I, I take it to heart. <laughs> okay, uh, switching gears a little bit here. Uh, you know, thinking about you know the uh, what we're going through as a nation. You know, last year with COVID, and a lot of uh, companies started going you know remote, and or you know maybe they didn't have their internal audit uh, function being remote, but they had to do that because of the circumstances. Uh, how did that affect credibility with the business? You know, I actually, and just to give some context to the question, is I actually heard from a CFO before, like. If you're doing an audit for something that's operational, you need to have your boots on the your boots on the ground, right? Like you need to show your presence there, because otherwise, people may not take you seriously. So, what you know, how can you build that credibility working remotely? Well, I, you know, we've been living through truly extraordinary times. I, I've referred to the COVID nineteen pandemic as the most disruptive event in the history of internal audit because. Our profession only really dates back about 100 years, and I'm not sure there's been any truly global event that was more disruptive unless it was possibly World War II. But I would say this, um, you know, the normal rules of the game are, really didn't apply in, in a lot of uh, ways during the, the last 18 months. I, I would agree with, uh, with that CFO or with a member of management who questions an internal auditor who isn't present or doesn't show up if they're auditing some aspect of operations. But in all likelihood, the people who were in charge of operations weren't there either. So even if we'd shown up, we'd probably have been alone. So what, what I think we were able to do, and I'm continuing to analyze data and look at, uh, at results of audit departments and listen to uh, chief audit executives share their experiences, I think what we were able to do during the past 24 months uh, is, if anything, was to elevate and cement uh, the respect that a lot of members of management have for us, because they saw that we were, that we were able to continue to execute our mission uh, in the face of incredible disruption, unimaginable disruption, where you can't even leave your home in some cases for weeks at a time. And yet we were able to stay on, on track if anything, we showed uh, our agility, our flexibility by being able to um, uh, quickly uh, pivot to address new risks, things like uh, business continuity and uh, and disruption and and supply chain risks. We were able to we were able to kind of pivot and set aside the audit plans that we had and tackle new topics and new issues. And we brought new innovative solutions to how we audit. Uh, we, we had to uh, identify new ways to uh, evaluate and analyze evidence. You've got to have evidence uh, to afford you a basis 
uh, for decision or for an audit recommendation or an audit report, if you don't have uh, evidence, then you're just speculating. And yet we were able to do that uh, very, very innovative and in some ways creative ways that internal audit went out and did that. So very proud of the way the profession has responded over the last 18 months. That's not to say, or 24 months, that's not to say that, you know, there aren't a lot of uh, clouds on the horizon for the next decade, but I think we've done pretty well in the last two years. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, definitely. You know, having to completely change or adapt, you know, to, to your uh, annual audit plan, you know, according to what was happening in the uh, in the country here, uh, you know, I think internal audit showed a lot of versatility, agility in adapting to those situations. So I would agree. Uh, I think that that definitely helps with the credibility. Uh, and, you know, thinking about your book here, uh, Trusted Advisors, you know, there are nine things that you list as uh, attributes for outstanding internal audits uh, auditors, and I'll I'll just say them really quickly here, just for those who haven't had a chance to read the book. Uh, so they would be categorized into three separate buckets. Personal would be ethical resilience, results focused, uh, intellectual uh, intellectually curious, open mindedness. Uh, second one, relational, dynamic communicators, insightful relationships, inspirational leaders. And the third one is professional, critical thinkers, and technical expertise. So from the time that you wrote this book up until now, and, you know, maybe thinking about what happened within the last year to the profession, is there anything that you would add to the list? Or is there anything that maybe you would, you know, not think it's as critical as you thought it was before? You know, uh, John, the book's only four years old, so there really hasn't been a lot of change in the world, um, you know, in, in, a, in a real glacial sense. Uh, but obviously, we've gone through some, some unique experiences in these last uh, 24 months. If anything, I think what we've seen and what we're hearing reinforces the characteristics of outstanding internal auditors that we shared in the book. If there, if there were any things, if I were rewriting the book today uh, that I would pull in, obviously I would pull in how uh, internal auditors uh, can demonstrate those personal attributes if you don't have the ability to connect uh, physically or you don't have the ability to sit in the room with somebody. Um, I, I actually wrote a blog a few weeks ago uh, talking about the great internal auditors can read the room. But again, that's a subset of dynamic communications, which is one of the relational attributes. Uh, if I was going to add anything that I would talk about, it might well be um, that uh, I think we're learning a lot more about the, how important it is, how critical it is that we be able to uh, assess and ident identify emerging risks or what I call over the horizon risks, those that are not visible. Uh, if you stand on a hilltop, that you've got to really do some analysis to figure out if those things are going to happen. Um, certainly, we're seeing more and more uh, technology-related skills that are important. But I would put all of those under that uh, professional uh, classification, professional attributes of technical expertise. Um, what, what we essentially said uh, in that book is that you can, you can be really, really smart. You can be really, really knowledgeable as an internal auditor. 
But if you're not seen as ethical, as a dynamic communicator, someone who can build and sustain trust, if you don't have those trustworthy characteristics, you won't be successful, as successful as an internal auditor. You're seen more as a policeman and less as as a trusted advisor. So um, I think the answer to the question is, the book is still pretty relevant. It's still the most popular book of the four that I've written. Um, and I think that's because it it tapped into uh, something in the internal audit profession uh, where people really wanted to understand what does it take to be truly successful? It's about more than knowing how to plan an audit and to do uh, to gather evidence and to prepare work papers and to write a report. Those are all important things to be able to do, but there's something there's something inherently um, uh, internal about what causes or what perpetuates success. And I think that book, uh, Trusted Advisors, gets into that. Yeah, I agree. And I agree with your assessment about you know, technical skills, definitely important, but as you're progressing your career, you know, you know, from the staff level, manager, uh, chief audit executive, the soft skills become more and more important, right? The balance shifts. So you need yeah. to, you need to have, uh, you know, good skills in all of those areas and you can't just focus and focus on one of them. So, and kind of like going back to the beginning of the conversation of like, you know, it needs to be something that the chief audit executive needs to give direction to the group, right? Okay, so let's say someone is giving direction, everybody's on board. How do you measure if you're being effective in being a trusted advisor? Is there any way that you can measure? Well, you know, I think I think real true trusted advisors in our profession, they have an internal metrics assessment uh, assessment mechanism that that they inherently know if they're winning and sustaining trust. Uh, you know, we could we could come up with some key performance indicators like, you know, how often you get called or uh, texted by senior management saying help come quickly. Uh, you could uh, you could put other metrics together, uh, looking at uh, how many of your audit reports or your audit findings are implemented and whether they achieve the desired effects. Those are all those are all indicators but I don't think that they're they're really the true performance uh, metrics that I would use to assess whether someone is successful as a trusted advisor. I, you know, I I came up with or I didn't come up with the term. It had been around for a long time, but I I locked in on the terms trusted advisor because there was a lot of conversation in our profession about the importance of having a seat at the table being invited in by management, being there as the discussions take place about business strategy, execution, future direction of the organization. Internal auditors traditionally were not invited to those meetings. And and yet we started to see more and more that because we weren't, we weren't able to truly have the context. We didn't fully appreciate the basis for some of the decisions that we were later asked to audit. So internal auditors begin to say more and more, we want a seat at the table. We'd like to be invited in. And I think trusted advisors are invited to the table. They have a, they have a permanent seat at the table. Um, and I think if I were saying, you know, what's one way you know if somebody's a trusted advisor, uh, I, I would say, first of all, it's, it's 
how they are seen by others, because I can't decide if I'm a trusted advisor. Trust is in the eye of the beholder. It's going to be dependent on how others see me. But I would also say if I'm never invited uh, into a conversation while decisions are being made, or if I'm never invited in until it's time to assess whether something was effective or not, then I probably have some work to do to become a trusted advisor. Yeah, I think that's a really good indicator there. <laughs> if you have the you know the seat at the table as decisions are being made versus after the fact. <laughs> but so. I, I always caution too, though, that um, you know just because you're invited to the table doesn't mean that it's there for you to get audit leads. Uh, if you really want a seat at the table and you want to be invited back, you need to be there. Uh, not not in a judgment mode, not in an audit mode, but in a in a contribution mode. Uh, yeah. You've got to be there to share your perspectives and insights. I, I remember the first time I was asked to take on a sort of a non-traditional audit role when I was at the Army. Uh, there, the Army, the U.S. Army. I was a, a, the head of one of the civilian arms of the of the auditing uh, function of the Army, and the Army was going through a process at that time to sort of re-engineer or transform its travel reimbursement processes. And so you had all these finance folks, all of the logistics folks, they were all on this task force. And they asked me to sit in as well as a non-voting member. Uh, And and I remember uh, that I was able to share with them, uh, you know, they were saying, okay, we can move these because they were looking at ways to accelerate uh, the, the reporting and processing of travel expense reports, because we had over a million um, men and women in the Army at the time. Uh, and they would say, well, maybe we just eliminate this step. We don't need to have this approval. We don't need to do this. And I was able to say, that's true, you could eliminate it, but then you've eliminated a key control, and here's what could happen. If we are able to think like that, and share based on our knowledge, our expertise on risk and controls, we can be so much more valuable than showing up afterwards and saying, boy, that was a dumb decision. You should never have eliminated that control and I'm gonna write you up. Right, right. I wholeheartedly agree that you have to be non-judgmental because would you trust the person who you know you think is gonna judge you, right? Based on you know certain things. So I think that's that's a really good approach, really good advice. So I'm not I mean, suggesting I'm not suggesting that trusted advisors or agents of change, which is my new book, I'm not suggesting that these are people who roll up their sleeves and do. I'm right. suggesting that they roll up their sleeves and advise. Right. Yeah, I think that's a some really good takeaways there for everybody. So, I mean, you had a really impressive career. You served over a decade as the president and CEO of the IIA. I mean, you have it's over, so many. It's actually, over it was over twelve years, uh, a little over twelve years from the time I took the helm till I gave it up in March of this year of twenty twenty one. Yeah, so it was a really long time, and I, I mean, I, you know, from reading all of your blogs and books, I, you always sprinkle a little bit of gold in what you write. Uh, I think it's really good information. So, what's next for Richard Chambers? What's what, what what are some of your next projects there? Well, uh, thanks for asking. Now, number one, you know, I get asked sometimes. I was in uh, was in the Middle East a few weeks ago, and I was asked by uh, members of uh, IIA organizations in the profession there what 
well, you're staying so busy. Why did you give up being the CEO of the IA? Because it's not like you've retired and you're not, you're not working anymore. And my answer then was exactly what I said last year. And that is, um, I, I, uh, I value and treasure every day that I served as the president and CEO of the IA. Uh, but I also know that there are demands on you as a CEO, as a chief executive officer, uh, that keep you some time from being able to pursue your passions. My passion long before I was at the IA was training uh, internal auditors. I designed courses and, and got into the classroom and taught internal auditors. Uh, I, I, I was passionate about the profession and then became the president and CEO of the IA. I hope that I brought that passion into the role. But I, I was at a point where I thought, you know, I think I've done about everything I can do here as the top executive of this, this global body. Um, maybe they ought to find someone else to come and do that and let me go back and pursue the passions uh, that I've always had for internal audit, writing, uh, lecturing, uh, teaching. And so that's exactly what I've been doing. I've, I've been active with Audit Board uh, the, uh, the well-known uh, cloud-based uh, solution uh, for uh, risk uh, controls and or risk compliance and audit. Um, I, I serve on a board of a company out of the UK, the Southwest Internal Audit Partnership, which is a sort of a public-private uh, partnership. I uh, am actually the honorary dean of Nanjing Audit University in China. Uh, I have been part of uh, their efforts uh, to grow internal audit and to train internal auditors in China for more than a decade. They asked me to become their honorary dean this year, which keeps me busy. Um, and then, of course, my, I have my own consulting firm. But the, the, big, the big announcement that I made just a few days ago, and I'm sure some of the, the listeners and viewers will have seen it, is that I'm going to launch a training academy uh, next year. And the, top, the, the name of the training academy is the Audit Trail Academy. Uh, because that that's kind of been one of the themes that I've been using the last few years uh, around helping auditors to understand uh, their journey behind them and what lies ahead. So the Audit Trail Academy is going to be uh, launched as a partnership between myself and the IIA and the UAE, uh, the United Arab Emirates. Uh, and it's going to be uh, geared toward and aligned to uh, training about my books. So there are three books out there right now, uh, Speed of Risk, Trusted Advisors, and Agents of Change, and there'll be three courses. Auditing at the Speed of Risk will be the first course. It'll be offered in Jan starting in January. Then in May, we're going to launch uh, uh, Becoming a Trusted Advisor, which we're going to talk about some of the things you and I have talked about here today. Uh, we're hopefully going to going to equip people to go out and become more effective in building and sustaining trust. And then finally, later next year, we'll launch Agents of Change. I would stress that for next year, 2022, it's only going to be available in Dubai and the UAE. Uh, but that's part of the plan that I have to launch that training globally starting in 2023. And I hope that the viewers and uh, listeners today uh, are able to take advantage of it, if not in Dubai next year, uh, that hopefully they'll be able uh, to uh, to stand by until I can bring that training uh, to a town near them. That is very exciting news. Uh, I'm I'm glad to hear that you know you have you you have more material that you're working on. It's definitely appreciated by the profession. I you know as an internal audit as an internal auditor, I can tell you that you know 
I read many of your blogs, many of your books, and I appreciate all of the work that you have been uh, adding to the profession, all of the value that you have been adding to the profession. So really appreciate, appreciate all of the work and we look forward to you know, your future projects. Thank you, John. And listen, good luck to you. I, I uh, am always uh, inspired uh, by uh, young professionals like yourself uh, who roll up their sleeves, um, bringing their passion for this profession forward through uh, projects and initiatives like your uh, podcast series. And I wish you all the best as you continue to move that forward. I really appreciate it. And thank you for being my first guest.